Are you guys ready? Yeah. Oh, I just knocked it over. Okay, red alert. Whenever you pass out the communion, we need another one here. I'm a walker back and forth, so stuff gets in the way. I'm going to hit it. <laughs> I'm clumsy that way. All right. Well, as you, as, as, as you want to, if you want to open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn there, I'll tell you a little story that I heard. And it was about these two young'uns. There was two young'uns who uh, was always feisty, rambunctious, and in trouble, somewhat like me and Jeff whenever we were young. I, I know I was, and I got a sneaking suspicion he was there with me. I'll tell you a true story, okay? And I even wrote a song about it that my, uh, my middle initials T for Thomas, but it should have been for trouble. And at Perrigan School here in first grade, and Mary's back there going, yeah, because she babysat me when I was four and five years old, and she knows that my middle name was Trouble. But I, I went to school here at Perrigan. In first grade, Mr. Rosenbaum was principal. Well, I was always in trouble. And I can't tell you how many times as a first grader I had to walk up those steps to his office and following him. And all I could think of was, man, how big his feet are. Because he, he had some shoes about like that. And walk up there. And finally, one day, he told me, it was towards the end of school, thank goodness. He said, the next time you come to my office, you're going to be the first first grader that I've ever had to whack. I'm glad it was the end of the school year because if we'd have had a couple more weeks, I'd have probably got it. But that was me. I was in trouble, just like these kids that I'm going to tell you about. And they was two rambunctious kids, always in trouble. And so the mom thought the best thing that I can do is to send them to the pastor and see if he can talk to them a little bit and straighten them out some. So the two kids, they had to go one at a time. He said, I want them sent one at a time to me. And so the first one goes in there, and he, he stands before him, and he goes, Hey, do you know who Jesus is? And the kid just has his eyes about that big around. He said, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know where he is and where he went? That little boy turned tail and ran out of there as fast as he could, went to the other boy and he said, Jesus, some dude named Jesus is missing and they think we took him. <laughs> so that would have been me. I can relate. But anyway, if you're getting there to 1 Kings 19, I want to talk a little bit about the mantle of Elijah and how that relates to the mantle of our Lord Jesus Christ that he's given to us. And what it basically is is a transfer of power and responsibilities. You know, in, in our world, we see that all the time. In government, we have elections. It depends on the cycle. Some are two, some are four years, some are six. But you have a cycle, don't you? And sometimes there's a transfer of power from one person to another. In, in corporate America, in business, you have CEOs and then you have directors or you, you might just have business owners and you've got all the way down to supervisors and people that run the machines. And there's always these transfer of power. Somebody new takes over, you get a new supervisor, you get a new machine to run. There's always... There's always a learning period, an uptick, but that transfer has came and you've got to learn and then you've got to hit the ground running and you've got to do and you've got to perform. Well, that's what we're going to take a look at today because there's going to be a transfer of power here from Elijah 
the prophet of God who is one of the greatest men of God that there ever was. He is so powerful and so well known that he is mentioned 30 times in the New Testament. 30 times, 800 years after his death, he's brought up 30 times and the Lord brings him up several times. We're going to see one of those times today. But it's about his time to get called home to the Lord. And the Lord has told him as he's, get, as he's talking to him here in this chapter, and he says, here's what I want you to do. We got Haziel over in Syria. I want you to anoint him to be king. And then he lists who he wants to be named king over here in, in uh, Israel, Jehu. And then he says, Elijah, I want you to go over to Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And I want you to go over there to Elisha, and I want you to anoint him in your stead. In other words, here's your successor. Here's the one that you're going to be turning the nation over as a prophet to whenever I get ready to take you home. And so it says as we go down there to about verse 19 that Elijah did what the Lord said. He went and departed and he found Elisha the son of Shaphat. And he was out there plowing in the field and there was 12 yoke of oxen that he was plowing with. And I want to tell you what was going on. By trade he's... He's, he's a farmer, but he's kind of over these guys. He, that's his occupation and what he does in life. That's how he made his living. And all of a sudden, he's out there plowing, and he's got 12 yoke of oxen, and he's in the 12th. He's watching everybody else, and he's got the 12th on. And all of a sudden, this man named Elijah comes walking up to him as he's plowing. And... He walks by and all he does is throws this mantle, this cloak over his shoulders and starts to walk away. And I'm just going to put it on because I like it. This is, this is like the mantle of the prophet that he had. And well, I, I, one day we'll study. We studied a long time ago about what all this stuff means. And we're going to bring it up again since there's so many new folks. You got to know what this stuff means. And why it was wrapped in blue and why it had five knots that represented the five books of the Torah. And the blue represents the sky that the Lord God created so that you can always look up and know that the Lord God's there. Oh, we've got some important things here. But this mantle went across Elisha's shoulder and he dropped his plow where he's, he's plowing. And he takes off running after him and he goes and he says, Elijah, Elijah, please allow me to go back and to kiss my mom and dad. And Elijah says... Go, but I want you to think about what I've told you. I want you to think about the commission that I've given you here and what you've got to do. And so, you know what it says? I don't read where he went back to his and kissed his mom and dad. He may have, but it doesn't say that in the scripture. You know what it does say that he did? It says that he went immediately over, and that plow that he had his hands on and them oxen, he sacrificed those oxen. And he took that plow apart and he kindled a fire with that plow and he put those oxen upon that plow. And then the scripture says that he fed everyone that was there with those oxen. And you know what my question is, why? Why, Elisha? Why did, why did you do that? What, what does that mean to you, but what does it mean to you and I as well? As we look at this, because everything that was written in the word of God was written for our learning. It was written as an illustration to bring us to Christ and to God and to learn another different important part about our life. So what did this mean? 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you another little secret to my life. It was five and a half years ago. I got shingles really bad. Things at work was going really bad. The Lord had brought me to, to the great blessings there. But now all of a sudden I think he was working on me to leave work whenever my time to, to uh, retire early. The earliest retirement was 80 points, and I was about a, six weeks away. And things were so bad at work with the new young supervisors of the transfer of power that they was, they was hacking up all of the old folks. And you've probably seen that in your places as well that you've worked at if you've had any experiences in big places like that. And I got the shingles really bad, and I went to the doctor, and when I went there, my cousin was there. I hadn't seen him for quite a while. He said, hey, I'm off today too. After you get out of the doctors, let's go have lunch. So I went in. Uh, Dr. Ruth said, listen to everything. She said, how long is it till you got to retire? And I said, six weeks. She said, you ain't going back. I'm going to write some letters because... You can't go and put lab coats on and do all of that with this shingles and the medicine that you've got to take. So you're going to be off work and then you can make your decision whether you're going back or not. But you'll be safe to, to be able to do that. I said, okay. So I, I go afterwards and I meet with my cousin. And as I walk in, he goes, hey, where do you want to go eat at? And by the way, I want you to read this book. And he just tossed this book to me. He said, I just finished it. I want you to read it. And I looked at it. And it had a greater symbol, and it just said greater. And uh, he said, it's really kind of an interesting book, and I thought you might want to read it. Well, he's one of those that underlines things in his book, you know, when he reads. And so I took that book home, and for two or three days, I didn't, I didn't crack it. But one afternoon, I didn't have anything to do, and I thought, well, maybe the Lord wanted me to do this. There's a reason why he was at the office the same time I was, and then threw this book in my lap. So I opened that book. Second page, you know what it said? It says, God has called you to do greater things than what you're doing right now. And it's not okay for you to go back to your mundane job that doesn't mean a thing, but he wants you to do even greater things, and he's called you to do that. You don't know how that worked on me for the next four weeks. And it's scary pressing that button. And I'm sitting at home, and I had a link to where I, the day came that I could retire, and I was supposed to go back to work the next week. What do I do? And my wife said, that book was a godsend. And it was like it was talking to you throughout that book. And we can make it. Maybe God has called you for something greater. So I reached down. I called them up. I asked them again all the things, and they told me. And... I pushed the button, and I retired, and I waited and waited, and what's the Lord got me in store for me, and I was trying to call places, and no one would answer. They would hang up the phone. Nobody wanted to talk to me, and I finally said, Lord, did you really call me for something greater or not? And I'm, I'm going to leave it in your hands now. I'm just going to keep studying, and I'm going to keep writing lessons. And then one day, I'm on vacation. Never stepped foot in this place. And one of the, the men who was here, he called me. And he said, 
left a voicemail because I'd been outside. And he said, you don't know me. We haven't talked, but I got to talk to you about something. I thought, what happened back home? You know, uh, I knew he was familiar with the fire department, the different things. Did something happen? So I called him up and Rick said, we're losing our minister of 10 years. And as I started telling folks, your name came up three times today. So I figured I ought to call you. You know, when you turn things over to God and said, you know what, I'm, I'm out of this. I'm going to let you open the door. And that was my prayer. I'd just been studying Revelation and I've got the keys to the doors. And I open doors that no one can close and I close them that no one can open. And I, that's what I'd been praying, Lord, this is what I want. If I want you to open the door, I don't want it to be mine. And this is here. And you know what? We're going to talk about what greater things is because you have the same calling. God doesn't want you to be wrapped up in your mundane stuff. He wants you to be wrapped up in his work. And his work is the great commission of telling others about Jesus Christ. Wherever you're at, that's your occupation. It's not that I'm a machine operator. It's not that I'm going around gathering things. It's, it's not that I'm taking care of copiers. Yeah, he's using that to get you to people to talk to them about Jesus Christ. But whenever, you know, it was tough to press that button but I had read this book and a small portion of what was in that book is what I'm telling you right now about Elisha because when you get called to do something greater when you get called to do something greater you got to get rid of everything that might call you back to what you was doing if I would stayed working where I was working I'd have never left that security and went out to do what God wanted you to do that was something greater. So you've got to burn the plow and throw the oxen on it and offer it up because you can't go back to your old life when you put your hand to the work of Jesus Christ. He wants something greater, but he said, this is what Elisha was doing whenever he did that. It was, he's saying, if I am going to follow Elijah, and if that calling to do something greater for God is that great, I can't have my tractor here to keep doing what I'm doing. I've got to get rid of it. And so he offered up to the Lord God this sacrifice and everything that could call him back to his old way of life and said, I give this to you. And then it says that he went running. He fed the people from that. We're going to get to that in a minute too about our commission. He fed the people from that sacrifice and that offering. And then he went running after Elijah. And he caught up with him. And we don't read anything else about him for a couple more chapters. And Tanya, I'm sorry, I don't even have know where I'm at. I'm right here. But you know what? The Lord's asked you and I to do the same things. You know it. I want to give you an example of what our Lord said in Matthew or Luke, Luke chapter 9, down around verse 57. It says this, that as the Lord was walking and going from town to town, someone came to Jesus and he says, you know what, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And the Lord looked at him and said, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. You know what he's trying to tell you? This is going to be a sacrifice. Do you, do you really, just like he told Elisha, do you really know what you're getting yourself into? Are you prepared to give up what you know to come and follow after me? Are you prepared and you ready to do that? 
And then another guy he turned to and the Lord said, come, follow me. But that man said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. And the Lord said, let the dead bury the dead. I'm calling you to do a good work. Are you, are, you, are you in or not? You've got to know, are you all in and ready? Are you not? And then another one says, Lord, I will follow you, but let me say goodbye to my family. Isn't that what Elisha said? He said, do you see how the Lord is paralleling here what went on in the calling? He's calling people to him and to his ministry, and he's telling them just like Elijah. He, that, that was written for our learning and example that today... Elisha said, let me go kiss my mom and dad goodbye. And he said, you go, but think about what I've just called you to do. And immediately he offered the sacrifice and left. And I don't read that he did. And the Lord there said, uh, I will follow you, but let me say goodbye. And the Lord said, what, what did he burn? His plow. The Lord said to this man who said, let me go kiss him goodbye. He said, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Do you see how he's t talking and referring not only to Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot's wife who turned around and looked back and turned into a what? Yes, because she, she desired that old way and when she was told to go and follow, she looked back. But he's referring back to, to Elisha and the plow and these folks knew the Old Testament and so he's using two examples here in one to tell this person when I call you to come and follow me don't let nothing deter you I remember the Apostle Paul whenever he's explaining his conversion when he got knocked off of that horse on the road to Damascus and it says he told someone he said I conferred not with flesh and blood but I went and did what I was supposed to do don't ask people for their opinion, opinions because this world's going to try to give you a different opinion. It's not going to want you to leave the world and go after Christ. And it's going to give you another opinion. You need to be here. You know what I heard twice today? Twice today. So this, this is, this is a, a thing that goes along with it that God is confirming his word. Because twice today I had folks tell me, you know what? I was thinking about not being here. But then I saw that was reading in the Bible about Jesus is the head of the church and we are the body. And how can the body be separated from the head when it's supposed to be together? This is what he's talking about. Don't go out and confer because people, that's what they said. People's been telling me you can, you can worship God in any way. Yeah, but he said also in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 that don't forsake assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is and as they try to get you to believe. But he said, no, don't forsake that. And as you see those days approaching, encourage one another diligently to be here. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. The head needs the body. The head knows that a piece of the body is missing. He, he's telling us, don't confer with flesh and blood. Don't, go, don't put your hand to the plow and look back but grab a hold of my plow, leave the old plow behind, burn it, offer it up. I can't go back, and I put my hand to the new one, and I'm going forward for the kingdom of God. And then he says, to, to Lord, the Lord said, come, follow me, and that's what Elijah said to Elisha, and now Elisha's doing that, and he's going up for this calling. Because you know what? Elisha, the folks that Jesus was calling, and you and I, are called to greater things than what the world has to offer us. 
One day we're going to look at this whole story in detail, but right now I'm going to fast forward to 2 Kings. We're not, we don't mention Elisha for a while and some things goes on. He's in training for three and a half, four years. And now we come to 2 Kings chapter 7 if you're following along and you want to turn there. 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 7. I'm sorry, 2 Kings 2. You see, uh, it's time now for Elijah to go. He's been training Elisha for a few years and it's time for him to depart. And they start out at Bethel. And they, they leave from Bethel. And Bethel is what to the Wednesday night folks? House of God. Baith is house. El is God. So they left the house of God and they went to Jericho. I haven't told you about Jericho yet. But Jericho means a pleasant place. They go to a pleasant place in Jericho. And Elijah has this school for the prophets. And there's 50 of them around there. And they, they follow afar off. As they come in, they, they ask Elisha, say, do you know that your master's going to depart from us today? And he says, yeah, I know. Shut up. <laughs> he went to the other city, and they said, do you know that, that the master's going to depart today, that he's going to be taken up by the Lord? He said, yeah, shut up. I don't want to be reminded of it. So now he's walking on, and those 50 prophets in the prophet school who still needs to learn what it takes to burn the plow and the ox and to follow me, they're standing off over there. They, they're watching as Elisha is following Elijah. And they've left there, and they're going to go across, and they come to the Jordan River. And you know what he does? It says that they come to the Jordan River and that Elijah takes off his prophet's mantle that he's got, and he comes up to the water and he smites the water. And it says the water opens up. It says it's stacked up this way and that way and left a hole in the middle. And they walked across on dry ground and all of those 50 prophets back there see this. And they're sitting there and they're wondering what's going to happen. And as they cross that river and they get going, Elijah, he's talking to him. He's walking fast. He knows that the time's coming. He's like, what is it that you want? What can I do for you? What, what do you want before I go? And you know what he says? Boy, this is bold because I want you to think about it. This is the prophet of God. This is the prophet of God who just a few chapters before this prayed that it wouldn't rain until I pray again for it to rain so that your people in the drought and the famine that's going to come will turn to you, O Lord. And he prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then whenever he defeated the, the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth on Mount Carmel, there was 850 of them. One man faced 850 prophets of the false god, and they couldn't get fire to drop. Baal is the god of fire, and he says, okay, we're going to play on your terms. If he's the god of fire, see if you can call it down. And he couldn't. They cried all day. They wailed all day. They began doing all kinds of stuff and he said where is your God of fire maybe he's using the restroom maybe he's asleep maybe he's chasing somebody where is he and finally at three o'clock when the evening oblation came he said your guys's time's up you've been doing it for five or six hours and your God ain't showed up he said go get me some water pitchers and he rebuilds the art the altar of God and he offers up his ox his sacrifice and he says i want you to take those water jars and pour it over it and they said what and he said pour it over them and they poured all that and while they were pouring he was digging a trench all around it he said go fill them up and pour it again and they did he said do it a third time 
They had dumped all of these gallons and gallons of water so much that it soaked the ox, it soaked the wood, it soaked the rocks of the altar and dripped out and filled up the trench that was around. And then Elijah, the man of God, looks at me and says, Lord, their God couldn't answer, but I know that you hear me all the time. And it's not for my sake, but it's for everyone else's sake because he had stood before the congregation of Israel too. He'd invited everyone, all of Israel to come to watch this showdown on Mount Carmel. And he said to them, he said, How long are you going to halt between the two? If Baal be God, serve him. But if the Lord God, serve him. But make up your minds and don't halt between the two. And who are you going to serve? And the sad thing was it said that the people answered him not a word. You know what? That's pretty much where our society is right now. It's split. It's not answering a word. They're not trying to say whether God or something else is God. They don't really know. But the... Elijah said, Lord, I do. And I want you to prove that you are God to these people. And so for their sake, I want you to answer by fire. And it says immediately that the fire of God rained down from heaven. And it hit that altar. And the, the offering was burned up. The wood that was soaked was burned up. The rocks were burned up. The rocks disappeared. And then the fire licked the flame around the trench, it said, as the Lord delivered on that promise and it showed that he is God and then all the people said the Lord he is God the Lord he is God and we need an awakening today like that we need the Lord to rain down some fire upon some folks so that this country and this world knows who the Lord God is but you got to have people like an Elijah telling people and showing the power that God is alive and working so that they will come forward and this is the man who is getting ready to pass down his generation to Elisha and he says Elisha what do you want what do you want me to do for you and he says I want a double portion of what you got (laughs) can you imagine He's asking for something, isn't he? He says, I want a double portion of the spirit that you got. We just talked about some of the things that Elijah did. He's someone that was mentioned 30 times in the New Testament for how great he is. And Elisha, this young upstart, says, I want a double portion of what you got. Most youngsters do that today, don't they? I want what you got doubled. But I can imagine, you know what what Elijah said to him? Elijah turned around and said, you're asking a hard thing. In, in the original language, it means it's a real hard thing. In other words, it's something that I can't even deliver on. This is, this is above my pray grade. If you're going to get a double portion of the Spirit of the Lord, then the Lord's going to have to give it to you, not me. And he says, I'll tell you what, Elisha, you've asked a brave thing. So as, as we're traveling, if you see me when I go, then the Lord's going to give you a double portion. But if you don't see me when I go, then, well, you're probably not going to get it. And it was about the time that he spoke that and they started to keep walking that all of a sudden a chariot came out of heaven and started appearing. And Elisha starts screaming, My father, my father, look, the chariot of God, the chariot of tears of God. And it says that this chariot of fire with horses on fire and a chariot of tear guiding it came swooping down and separated them. 
He came right between them and he took Elijah and left Elisha. And it says they went up in a whirlwind and the word's like a hurricane. This thing was going up, this fiery chariot with Elijah in it as a whirlwind goes up into heaven. But you know what came down? The mantle. It says that as Elisha looked and he tore his clothes for his mentor being gone, that when he looked down, the mantle of Elijah had fallen at his feet. You know what he did? He turned around and he started walking back to go back to where he came. And he walks over there and he gets to the Jordan River. And there's 50 of those prophets that's been naysaying and nagging on him and everything, standing back there still on the other side of the river looking. And they're like, what's he going to do? And he gets up to the river and he looks at the river and he looks at that mantle that Elijah gave him and the test is on. Do I got a double portion or don't I? And it says that Elisha took that mantle. He struck the Jordan River. And you know what he said? Where is the God of Elijah? Where are you? And the Lord answered just like he answered Elijah. And it says that the water stacked up on this side and that side. And he put that mantle back on. And he walked on a cross on dry ground. And all them 50 prophets saw what he did. And the spirit of Elijah, they said, they started screaming, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah, Elisha. The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Well, he went through his training. He passed it. He dreamed big things. He dreamed greater things than what his mentor had done. And you know what the Lord said? Now I want to take you to how this applies to us, Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, Jesus stops just long enough at Caesarea Philippi. He's, he's got his face, he's got his mind set toward Jerusalem, towards what he was going to have to get ready to do. He's getting ready to go to the cross. Like Elijah, he didn't have a chariot of fire. He had a cross that he was going to bear for you and I. And he's going to the cross and he sets his face to it and he looks at his Elishas that are standing around him as disciples and he said, I want to ask you a question. Who do men say, like those 50 prophets that stood in the background over there yapping and yapping, he said, who do men say that I am? And they started giving him answers. said, some says that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but okay with them, who do you think that I am? And Peter, it says, piped up and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has showed this to you. And I want to tell you something. I'm going to give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You're going to be the one that's going to open that door to be able, you're going to get a double portion of what I've got and I'm going to put my spirit upon you and I'm going to give you some keys to open up the kingdom of heaven and what you've bound on heaven, what you've bound on earth will have been bound in heaven and what you've loosed. The, the term of that in the tense it is in means what, what you are going to bind has already been bound in other words, I'm going to reveal to you what's bound and unbound and you're going to go ahead and project it out there and I'm going to give you the keys that opens those doors and unbinds them. And Peter says, not so, Lord. We can't let you, because he told him, I'm going to have to go now to Jerusalem. I'm going to have to be beaten and I'm going to die. 
And Peter says, not so, Lord, far be it from you that you would go and do that and that you would die and that you would leave us. And the Lord turned to Peter and he said, Peter, he said, Satan, depart from me. You're getting information from someone else now. You answered good when you said I was the son of God, but now this is the plan of God. So you've got to go along with the plan, Peter. You Don't let nothing deter you from this. And then he says this as, as he's going on with the disciples, heading to Jerusalem in, in verse 24 of chapter 16 of Matthew. Jesus said to him, If anyone desires to come after me, and that's what we all want, don't we? We all are wanting to come after Jesus and to be followers of him. Let him deny himself, take up his cross. You know what? Follow me. You know what our mantle is? It's not the prophet's mantle, but it's the Lord's mantle, the cross. Take up your cross now. Deny yourself. What, what did Elisha have to do? Deny himself. He had to leave his, what, what was his life, and he had to go and deny that and to take up his new plow, his new cross and follow the Lord says if you desire to follow after me deny yourself take up my cross and follow me whoever desires to save his life for this world will lose it and whosoever will lose his life in this age for my sake shall find it and you will find life everlasting he says because I'm going to tell you something it's a choice that you're making And the choice is eternal. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? So take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. It's eternal complications. And he says this, verse 27. For I'm telling you assuredly that the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and he will reward each of us according to our works. Assuredly, this is a, this is a promise. I say to you that there are some standing here that won't taste death until they see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. He came in his kingdom in his resurrection, and the kingdom of God was now upon earth, the church, the body of Christ. And you know what else he said now? He says, The gospel writers have said what has been revealed to them from him that most assuredly some of us that are sitting here in this room and standing here today, we may not die until the Son of Man comes again in his power. Do you know that? Because he can come at any time, at any moment. For this is what he said. It says, We are about to do the Father's business. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. You are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach them all things that I have commanded you. And the Lord will be with us even till the end of the age. That is the commission of Jesus of taking up your cross. It is to go ye into all the world and teach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28. 18 and 19, Mark 16, 15 and 16. Jesus, both writers record that this is the commission and that this is the case. And it could happen at any moment that some of us might be alive when the Lord comes. It could be at any moment. The way things are going, it could be before we leave here today. Because it says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If we believe... That Jesus died and rose again. Even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus Christ. 
For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. And I want you to know then that this is not mine, but this is by the word of the Lord, Paul says as he's writing to him. He says that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have went before us in death. Because the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And therefore I want you to comfort one another with these words. That could happen at any moment. And the question is, are you in Christ? Did you obey the slides that was before that that Jesus had said and left as a commission? Because if this can happen at any moment, the only way I can be comforted is with these words is if I am in Christ. And if I am following him and if I am denying myself and putting on his cross and his mantle and following him, then I'm comforted by those words. Because it says in in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, it follows that same thing. He which said that he's going to come with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And then he continues writing to the Corinthians and says, Because in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trump will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. This corruptible flesh is going to put on incorruption this mortal is going to put on immortality and though that corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal immortality so that it may be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up with what what did we just sing victory in jesus and are you washed in the blood of the lamb both of those songs we don't talk not that we don't talk, but we just, about, about that. He says, there will be the victory. O death, where is thy sting? O hell, where is thy victory? The sting of death was sin. The strength of sin was the law. But thanks be to God who gives us our victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a great victory. We're going to enjoy the victory if we are in Christ Jesus and if we have taken up the cross and we're following him and denying self. And you know what? There's still some who haven't done that. And we ain't going to stop preaching the good news until every soul hears it. And you need to be bringing your friends and your family because we've got to get people in Christ. Because I'm telling you, the times are getting dangerous and perilous and you ain't going to know what happens next. And there is no time to delay we need to hear and heed the call of our lord on obeying his word dying to self and doing what we've got to do because you know what he called us to do greater things didn't he there's something greater than plowing a field or working in the factory and that's telling others about christ you know what you know what james said about that he said this in james 5 verse 20 let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way saves a soul from death and it covers a multitude of sins jude which is the brother of the lord who at first didn't believe in his brother and he ridiculed him but after he saw him resurrected he came to believe and now he writes this to us in verse 20 you beloved build yourselves up in the most holy faith Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, 
looking for the mercy. He, he knew what mercy was because the Lord extended his mercy to him who didn't believe. He said, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. On some, we need to have compassion. Man, you, you've got to have compassion when you, when you take that gospel to them and understand the situation that they're in. Making a distinction. Look at their life and figure out how to approach them with the gospel of Christ. And then he says this, but others, you're just going to have to save them with fear because they ain't going to hear it any other way. You're going to have to scare the bejeebers out of them. Save them with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments that stained by the smoke of the fire. Folks, our mantle is to take Jesus to a lost world. Our mantle is like Elisha. We've been called it. The Lord ascended, didn't he? Just like Elijah went up in the chariot. The Lord ascended. You know, and he left him with a mission. And you know what he's, Peter told him on that first day of Pentecost? We covered it last week, but it's a good time to talk about it again. Because he said, whenever, just like this, whenever they got together and they heard the word of the Lord preached and that the Lord Jesus is the one who extends mercy and forgiveness for your sins, they all stood out there and they said, well, then what shall we do? They were pricked in their hearts because of the sin in their life and they didn't know. And they said, what are we supposed to do? And Peter stood up with them and said, this is what you do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise to you, to your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And here's what I want to tell you. In your, in your mantle of taking up the cross and following him and teaching others about Christ, you've got a helper. He left you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, so that when you are baptized and you receive that gift that was promised, you've got somebody that can help you now communicate. You help to understand the word, and he helps you to communicate it to those that are there. Don't think the battle is yours. The battle is the Lord's. You know what the Lord told him in John 14? He said, most assuredly, I say to you. Now, here's what he wants you to know. He who believes in me, now listen close, and the works that I do, he will do what? You're called to do greater things than what the Lord did. You know how? You got a, you got a double dose of the Spirit. You got a double dose of what Elijah had. Because Elijah had the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And you know what? That's what we got too. And we've got Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel that he didn't have. So we've got a double dose of the Spirit that is going to help us so that we can do greater works than even what Jesus said. Because you know why? Taking five loaves and two fish and feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, that's, that's a miracle, isn't it? But you know what? That ain't nothing compared to one soul who turns to Christ. Even the angels in heaven and the Lord in the presence are rejoicing when one turns. The greatest work is that. That's why he said you'll do greater things. Because when you turn a soul to Christ, you have done the greatest thing. It's an eternal miracle of taking incorruption and now you're going to be able to make it incorruption on that day that he comes in john 16 he goes on to tell him he's telling them this as he's going to the cross nevertheless i tell you it's your advantage that i go if i don't go then your helper will not come to you but if i do depart just like elijah departed 
He said, if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, now listen to this. Who's going to convict the world of sin? He, the Holy Spirit, and of righteousness and of judgment. It's his job to do that by divine decree. He will, he will convict them of sin because they haven't believed in me. And of righteousness because I go to my Father. And you will see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is going to be judged and everyone that follows him. I have a lot of things I'd like to tell you, but you can't bear them all right now. But when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will begin reminding you and making clear all of these things to you. So you see the mantle that we got? It's just like we always read with Moses. Anyone? Stand still and let the Lord fight for you. The battle is his. All you got to do is start mentioning Jesus and he will provide what you need to be able to tell them. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to make that real to them and to convict their hearts and turn them over to him. So as our worship team returns and we, we, we take all of this that we've, we've learned today about the calling that we have and about the greater work that we are bound to do now in Christ. Here's the thing. We're commissioned with the cross and the mantle of Jesus Christ to take in the spirit of Elisha and Elijah the word to a lost and dying world that needs him. Those who believe we are to go, our commission is to go into all the world, teach this gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not and rejects this word shall not be. They'll be condemned. And you know what? That mantle was passed down from Jesus in Acts chapter 1. Do you remember how that started? He was gathered there together talking to him. And as he was talking to him, he said, what, what did he commission him with? You remember? I want you to be my what? Yep. And witnesses. I want you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And I will leave you with this helper now. And this is what you're to do, to be my witnesses. And guess what happened? He was elevated and raised and ascended to the Father right there in their presence, just like Elijah did. And that mantle that he tossed down and left was that you are my witness. I pray that if you have not obeyed from your heart the form of doctrine by which we are saved, that you would do that today and don't wait another day. And for those of us who have, take up your mantle. Deny yourself. Go out in the spirit of Elijah like Elisha did. You got a double portion. You got it way better than they had. You've got the double portion. Share this message because we don't know the day or the hour. And the signs don't look good. So folks, I'm not, it, I say I'm not trying to scare you, but what Jude say? Some you got to scare. So if that's what it takes, but it's time you did this and came to Christ and denied self and took up his cross and followed him. So let's pray. <sighs> Father, wow, what a powerful lesson an illustration that you've given us from elijah and elisha and that passing down of the the torch the mantle and the responsibility that comes with it and the greatness of the calling and and go and think about it and father as we as we have seen the same exact thing from our lord jesus to us father may we just truly examine ourselves and the need that we have 
And may we react positively to it in whatever form or fashion that we need to in denying self and taking up your cross and following you, Father. May we do this from this moment forward. Create in us a new heart, O Lord, that we might be your disciples and your followers. And we ask this in our Lord and Savior's dear name, Jesus. Amen. sent his son they called him Jesus he came to love heal and forgive he lived and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my savior lives because he lives I can
You may be seated.
with the demon. <laughs> We're going to spill a surprise in it. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, 